Welcome to State of the Art Southern Illinois, a podcast by the Marion Cultural and Civic Center. Our guest today is Derek Hamblin, the stage director and music director for Skyline Creek Productions' Hunchback of Notre Dame, opening August 12th here at the Marion Cultural and Civic Center. Listen as we discuss the process of staging a musical within a community theater atmosphere. We dive into every step of the process from choosing the show all the way to tackling Tech Week. Derek, thank you for joining us today. Uh, thank you for having me. So you're here because Skyline Creek Productions is putting on Hunchback of Notre Dame. And I think it's really intriguing how community theater all comes together in a production like this. So let's start from the beginning. Um, what does show selection itself look like? How do you choose a show to begin with? Um, there's, there's, there's quite a few things that go into what we pick that we want to do. Um, a lot of times we have to look at what is available, um, because we have to, of course, apply for the rights. Um, and this is the show selections sometimes get narrowed down because of limited, um, availability. Some shows are on tour or new tours are going out, so they won't allow local productions to happen. Um, and also we take into a factor um, of what's been done in the area because, you know, we don't want like 12 productions of Greece happening within three weeks, you know. Uh, so we have to look at what's been done, what is wanting to be done. Sometimes we hear a lot of suggestions from people like we want something old school or we want to see something new. Um, so we, it's, it, there's, those are the main factors of looking about availability. But then also we have to look at resources a lot of times because this is a community a project a community organization so we have to always look at who we have um our audition pool the timing sometimes that's a huge factor too because of uh just so many things going on in the world today um just uh, timing in general if it's going to fit within time schedules um and that's that's what I can think of right now. I mean, it's it's there's there's quite a few availability, accessibility, resources, um, and then it really comes down to if you're able to get the shows. Um, so, what made uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame the right choice for this production? Um, I think it was just the right. I had a lot of interest from the beginning of uh, just participants wanting to be in the show. Um, this show is rather large. Um, it is an actual musical that's written with a choir. Um, there is your cast that's on stage doing the acting, singing, dancing, but then there's also a separate choir that kind of, they represent the 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 choral the the chorus of Notre Dame. And so there was enough interest in being able to find that talent to be in the show because this show would not happen if we did not have that chorus. That's an, one of the most important factors about the show and the music is that there are separate musical books written. So you have the cast singing something and the choir singing something completely different. And you, the show's just not as effective if we didn't have that. So we had interest from the get go once this was announced. Um, and that was one of the, the, the big reasons is that we had talent. We had so much talent 
that we were able to put into this show, down to the orchestra, up to the the choir members that are on stage. Now, this production, uh, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, there is a, a Disney animated film and musical mm-hmm. of Hunchback of Notre Dame, but this is not a Disney product, correct? This correct. is a, a new musical that was that is created off of the traditional text from Hunchback of Notre Dame. Correct. Yeah. Um. The the, the history behind this musical is kind. Of, is it's very interesting. It it is based off of, of course, the Victor Hugo novel, and it is using the songs most of the songs from the Disney animated film from, I'm not for sure how many years ago. Then that was, that's, I would say a good 15 years or more. Oh, it's more. Yeah. More, yeah. yeah. Um, so they, they took the, the composer, um, Alan Minken was composer of beauty and the beast. Um, I, I, I'm really bad about this. I love his music. I'm pretty sure he did the little mermaid too. Mm-hmm. He's in a lot of stuff with Disney. Alan Minken and Stephen Schwartz, which was the lyricist, Stephen Schwartz, popular for Godspell and, of course, Wicked on Broadway. Um, They wrote the music for the animated feature film. And I don't quote me on this, but the show never went to Broadway. It was off Broadway. It was actually at a playhouse and it never went to actual Broadway status. And I the billing for the show, it's, it's the Hunchback of Notre Dame and it's based off of the Disney film and the music from it, but it is not labeled as a Disney show. And, um, i never really knew the exact answer why, but it's, it's very similar. I mean, the, you'll hear songs, the, the theme for the bells of Notre Dame is in the show. God help the outcast is in the show. Um, the, the song, uh, court of miracles, which is very, it always made me think of pirates. <laughs> Um, that's in the show in the second act, but then there were also songs that were written new for this production. And so it, it did pull from that storyline. There is a bit of a difference in the ending of the show. The, um, the actual stage production is closer to the novel and how the novel ends. But of course, Disney could not. Which is much more tragic. It's very much more tragic. Yes. It's Without a, ruining the ending. Of the yes. Show. It, yeah. it is a beautiful show. It's one of the, in my opinion, the ending of the show is one of the most beautiful shows the ending is it's one of the most beautiful endings of any musical theater piece that I've ever seen. Um, and it, it's closer to the novel, both visually and with the music, music visually. It's just, it's touching. And the, the whole message from the show from beginning to end is very touching. And I think anybody can relate to that just being an outcast because everyone's been an outcast at one point, but um, it is, it is similar to the actual Disney animated film but there are small differences. Um, I, to be honest with you, and people are going to be really mad, I've never seen the Disney film. I've seen parts (laughs) of it. I've never seen it all the way through. And so I remember songs from the Disney film being in this one and how they match up, but then there are songs that are completely not there that are still amazing. Okay. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Um, I, I walked through rehearsal briefly last night and visually it looked beautiful. Um, let's talk about how, um, before we get to audition process and how you even find the people, how do you, how do you structure your creative team for the show? That's going to shape what the show looks like, sounds like, feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, the, this show in particular, usually with skyline, there are individuals that have worked with skyline since, 
the beginning that we just kind of pulled together and are a creative team. For this one, it was just there were elements of costuming that I, I, I found really good friends of mine, um, Janet Hart and Hannah Drake, um, Harrisburg High School music department and Janet lives in Harrisburg and does all of their costuming and they were costume extraordinaires. So I, I, I reach out to them to ask if they would help with this production because they had done the production at one point in the past. Um, Skyline normally rented costumes from various rental groups. Broadwaycostumes.com uh, is one of our big, big places that we go to and they're always amazing, but we were able to do it locally this year and I thought it would be fun to get, them involved so that I can get a local, more local involvement in the, in this theater production. So we, I, we found them. Um, Brandon McGee was the person that's always been doing the sets um, for many different productions all over Southern Illinois. And uh, I've worked with him forever. So he was the, the go-to for the design of that. And we just kind of sat down and looked at how we wanted to represent the piece. I mean, it's, it's a story being told by gypsies. And it all centers around, of course, the cathedral. And so visually, we wanted to capture the vastness of Notre Dame. And there's just something about the music, the way the music is composed and the, the storytelling aspect of it that makes it sound, and I can't even think of the word that I'm trying to think of right now, but it was just an imagery of the... I honestly, I, I, I cannot put the words what I want to say. I just know the vastness, the sound of the music itself was gorgeous. Um, just have to come and see. It's pretty. But um, he designed the set, and we took inspirations from different things of uh, from Notre Dame to, like, the, um, the, the archways, using those, like, the archway cutouts and stuff like that within the, the, the set pieces, um, representing the inside of the, the cathedral, like, the, the marble checkerboard flooring trying to put visual visual aspects of that in there costume wise everything was brought down to a just a basic costume because they are telling a story and then we add pieces onto these characters as they go back and forth between who they're representing there are a few people in the cast that are just who they are but for the most part, it's 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 just like a, a gypsy tribe telling the story. So we wanted to keep the the costumes very fluid, very I, I don't want to say easy and simple, but they are simple because we didn't want to take away from just the music being beautiful and the story being beautiful to massive costumes everywhere. Um, so that it was the crew helped me with that, and they're all local. <laughs> awesome. So. Let's go ahead and talk about how you cast the show. What do, what does the audition process look like? And then what does the evaluation process look like to cast the show after they've auditioned? Okay. Um, well, of course, we, we pick the dates. We announce. We try to get that out to as many people as, as possible uh, with all the information. People can ask questions. And the day arrives, people come and they... Depending on the show for this one, we did not require anybody to do monologues. We just had them come and sing something in the style of the show. They sang, and we just assessed how they were, they presented themselves, and callbacks were given. And then from that process, and you can tell mm, a lot about a performer from how emotive they are during their song without exactly. seeing a monologue as well. Exactly, right? yeah. Especially if you're if you're picking songs that tell a story. 
you, I mean, you can, you act a song. I remember uh, in grad school, I mean, we, we did a whole chapter on acting the song and there's sub chapters. And within that, where you inter, uh, write your own inner monologues for them, and you're acting a song, which is essentially what music theater is. They're taking dialogue that we would normally say and setting it to music because we don't randomly just bust into music. I mean, some people do, and I'm friends with them, but that you're acting the song, you're, you're, you're telling a story. I remember I had to do a song called Smoke Gets I picked it, Smoke Gets In Your Eyes. It's an old classic. And I had to write an inner monologue and act the inner monologue out and then turn around and sing the song. But my inner monologue that I wrote out and my actions that I, were fo- I was following had nothing to do with the actual song. And it was amazing how you could take a song that means something, put something else behind it, and it creates a whole new work of art. Same thing with picking songs out and auditioning. You can find stuff like that and come in and do phenomenal work and just singing and presenting the song. And so we allowed them to do that. They came in and then we had uh, two days of auditions and we compiled our list of who we would like to come back. And when we call people back, they come in and we have um, sides that they would read based on character who we would like for them to read for, like, you know, we want to see that person read for you know, this side, the Quasimodo. We want to see this person read for Esmeralda. And so we had different sides that they come in and um, they're allowed to see the stuff at the auditions. We create packets for them to like snap pictures so they can prepare for it. They come through and we have songs that we have them prepare for. And it's just like a re-audition again. But this time the, the callback is more defined to a specific character because we, we want people to come in and show us their talent and let us as a casting crew take what we see and put that in who we think we should, we would love to see you. And it changes sometimes that you know, we have someone come in and we go, Ooh, we would want to see them also sing this song because we see something different now, but they, they come in for the callbacks and they're able to <clears throat> prepare beforehand and show us their interpretations of the prepared readings for the callbacks. And then from there it is, it's, it's, we, we, the callbacks are done and we have to sit down and figure out the best fit for and everybody. You keep saying <clears throat> we and, um, and the audition crew. Mm-hmm. So what, what is that in the audition crew? I mean, we, it varies from, from show to show. I mean, there have been times when the, um, I have been there, a music, another music director, or um, I have friends that are in different high school music departments, um, fellow directors. It varies from show to show that we will have people come in and sit so that we can have different opinions, different viewpoints. I know for this one, um, our accompanist was there, um, Anita Hutton from uh, Carbondale SIU. I love Anita. She's the piano extraordinaire. She was there for the auditions, and she um, she played the auditions. Uh, any input that she gave us was welcome. Um, Hannah Drake, the costumer, was there, so we could see two different inputs on that. One was costuming and what she sees, and then she's also a music director and a band teacher, and she's done the production. So she was there for for her side at her input. Um, Brandon was there as a tech support. Our stage manager, Jeff, Jeff Bird was there and I was there. And so we had many different opinions and sometimes we don't agree and sometimes we do, but when it comes down to it, we, 
we all work through and we find the best fit. It's like making a cake. You have to pick the ingredients to make the best cake. You could buy random stuff and throw it in there and it'll work. But it's, it's always trying to find the best fit, you know, and it, everyone was, everyone has equal opportunity to voice their opinions on the casting and how they, they feel that we should bake this cake. And, um, just, uh, we have to make the best, the best show and we find that talent and put it where it needs to go. So once you've found your ingredients, if you will, yeah. after the audition process, uh, what does the rehearsal process look like? What what's the time frame there, and and how is that structured for a show like this? <laughs> it's done very carefully because everybody's busy, down to the stage manager. Jeff is stage managing at the time. Jeff was directing his own show and staging stage managing two other shows. So and I was I think doing another show at the time. So it's time time management is the first thing that we have to look at. But um. We have to create a rehearsal schedule and we, we ask for on the audition sheets. When you come in audition, you get an audition sheet. And on the back of it, we ask people to list their conflicts and be truthful about those conflicts because that's not going to hinder being cast or not. It's so that we know up front that we, so we can mold a schedule to make things work. And so um, we take those, those conflicts, we throw them into a giant calendar and then usually the stage manager and I, and anybody else that wanted to come along and have Buffalo Wild Wings or wherever we were at at the moment, we grab a table and we would sit down and put together the rehearsal schedule based off of the conflicts, everybody's conflicts. It takes hours of work and we have to go through the show and say, okay, we have this amount of time. And that varies too from show to show. I mean, I've had four months to put a show on down to, I think one year, Rocky Horror Live, we, I think we had eight rehearsals. It was like intense rehearsals, eight of them, and then we had a tech week and we put a show on. Mm-hmm. Um, it it gets crazy. So I mean, the time varies. It really just depends on when we have auditions and when the show is and the time. So what was the time frame for this one specifically? For this one, we've had about two months. I would okay. say, maybe just a little bit more of two months. And there were spaces in between those two months because, of course, other people had prior commitments. So we've had to do stuff, take a break, come back. And um, the process of that, I mean, like I said, we make the schedule and we start with me. I like to start with music. It's easier to start with the music. Um, we have we, we call ensemble rehearsals where everybody's there. We learn the ensemble numbers and there's individual times when I have one character come in. We go over their music, and it's also that's more detailed when we break it up to where we're not wasting people's time. You, you're coming, you're coming in at a certain time and rehearsing your song that you know about for thirty minutes, and then thirty minutes later, the next person's in, and we're doing a completely different song. And then thirty minutes after that, we've got three other people coming in to do a trio. So we figure out time-wise how we make that puzzle work. We rehearse the music, um, usually in a two-week period two to three weeks. And then after that blocking starts and some people block random pieces here and there for this show in particular, we started from the beginning and started with act one, scene one. We blocked the entire act one in one week. That's a lot, especially Mm -hmm. with the number of people that's in the show. Um, We did act one in one week, act two in another week. And then after that, it was just running sections 
having to go back, touch up things, brush ups. Um, and then we start full runs. And then the next thing we know, we're in the theater doing a tech week and we open a show. So it's, 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 it's a crazy process of trying to organize all of that, especially with larger casts. This cast, I think there's 21 in the cast plus a choir of 28. Wow. So I was having to do separate rehearsals with the cast, to, you know, with their blocking, but then we would have specified dates to where we would have everybody come in and rehearse. And I know that we would rehearse at a local church here in Marion. And then we would also rehearse at first Christian in Carbondale where I'm the music director there. And so we would have certain days where the choir would come in and the cast would come in and we would sit down and it was, you know, almost 40, it was 40 something people singing together, which was actually amazing for a chance uh, for a change to, to have that many voices, that much talent in one room singing this wonderful music and, and great acoustics too. Um, so it's time it's a lot of time management for the stuff, for the rehearsal stuff. So as you're, as you're getting through and you're done with blocking, which blocking is literally figuring out where people are mm -hmm. on stage throughout the scenes. Um, you've gotten through all of that. And then you're in here, you're in the building for your tech week. Mm -hmm. um, and with the Marion Cultural and Civic Center, with the schedule here, typically you are just, one week in the building and that's mm -hmm. what you've got. Yeah. Once you're in here for your tech week, what does that look like? <laughs> Are you, you doing full runs all the way through? When does lighting and sound really come into play? And how does all of that work? Okay. Um, for this one, we were lucky enough to be in here a week earlier. Normally we normally because of the schedule of the performances that are, that are here already, we're able to move in on a Sunday before the week before. And so that Sunday is always bringing in the set for the first time, putting the set up, and then continually working on the set, touch-ups, painting, because we have to work on it as we go um, up until, you know, Wednesday. Uh, Light-wise, lighting-wise, um, the designer, Brandon, usually goes to rehearsals and records them, so he gets an idea of where we are on the set with his recording, and then he goes up into his chamber of secrets, the booth and programs the lights based off of that video and based off of his concept of the set. And uh, then we run things and hope that they work. And if not, he's twerking and fixing things. Um, but we were lucky this for this, this production to be in here earlier. So we were able to, we couldn't move the set in, but we were able to tape out, the set on the floor so that we generally knew where the stuff was <clears throat> and we were able to to do full runs or act one in one night act two in the other uh, we were able to do runs like that so that they generally knew in that space because we were rehearsing in smaller spaces mm -hmm. so when we come in here i think it's 40 40 feet wide and so a little bit more space area in here we were able to, so we had to adjust to that adjust to the new layout of the set um no more chairs and corners to to represent staircases and stuff you know and so we take that time we had the time to adjust for our space and then we started getting set pieces brought in um rolling pieces that we benches that we are using um we started to be able to work with those so that we can understand how we move them because 
it's easy to say, okay, a person brings on this table and sets it here versus actually having the table mm-hmm. and having to bring it from off stage, on stage, in the right location, in the right time, with the music, not smack somebody with it, not hurt people. It, there's it's it's like so scene changes are like a choreography all oh, of themselves. Absolutely. I wish there was, I, we did Legally Blonde many years ago, and I wish that we could have recorded the show from the top so that we could see the people moving because it was clockwork. People were like setting on the set pieces as they were being moved out because everything had to fit in the space. And it's the same thing for this show. Like I would love to record it from the air to just watch people's patterns because it, it would just look like, they're in mazes and they're running around and this is here and, and pieces are being moved and stuff is, and it would just be really funny and then speed it up and play that under, it would be really funny. It's, it's literally, it's just as much choreography as it is actually dancing in the show. Because when the minute that you're on stage, you're on stage and it's not just carrying a table, um, but it's all planned and we have to plan for that. We have to rehearse that. It's, it's just as important as, doing a tap dance number in the show it's choreography because if if a scene change is abrupt and harsh and loud and um clunky it breaks people out of Mm -hmm. their disconnection from reality from their involvement in the show absolutely it's it's it is a part of the story yeah in an essence because for however long you have these people in the audience you need to make them forget for that moment, forget their problems, and mm-hmm. they are now in the world that they are watching. And anything can take them suspension out of, that. of reality. Yes. Yeah. yes, anything can make them snap and go back to oh, I'm watching a show, yeah. and we want to keep them in in that world that we've created. For this one, we're telling a story, so the scene changes need to meld, just like you're you're turning pages into the next the this, the Victor Hugo novel. You're turning the pages of his novel, and we need those scene changes to flow. And a lot of them do. They dissolve into whatever we're going to now. You know, so we have to choreograph. And the the those. lighting changes are an enormous exactly. part of mm-hmm. that um, suspension of reality and keeping keeping people engaged during those set changes is mm-hmm. the transition of the lighting and in, exactly. in how that works with that. Yeah, the, the lighting is just as important with that because we have to make sure that it it flows just as easily because the lighting, in an essence, is just like. It is directing your focal points to where we want you to go and watch because you can be watching this beautiful scene. And when that scene's over, this is going to fade away. And then the lights will be a magical transformation into somewhere over here where you need to watch this now and, and see that story. I like that you use the word magical because mm. it's almost like a magician with the misdirection. Mm-hmm. And I look want you to look over here so mm-hmm. that this can happen over here. And then all of a sudden, here it is. And there's that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and that. I've now that I, I've, I was not a lighting person. I've never been a lighting person. I have ideas in my head. I call it magic. And I know like when I want to see things happen and I find myself now going to shows and paying more attention to stuff like that. Um, I, Hamilton at, at the Fox, the lighting blew my mind. There, the lighting there is incredible. And just watching things that people can do with lighting now, because I, I, I never knew how it was done, but working more, in a building that has what we have here. Like I, I understand how things work now and I see it and I'm just like, that's it's, it's absolute. It and, is magic. They, they did some revolutionary things lighting wise yeah. in Hamilton that, um, the, the standard prior to Hamilton was 
if, if, if a moving headlight was going to change its patterns and change its position, you would basically turn the light, you know, douse the light to where you couldn't see it, change it, and then bring it back on in a different position with a different pattern. Mm-hmm. And Hamilton changed the entire game on that because they worked out how to have the patterns change to the tempo of the music mm-hmm. as well as the movement of the light where it all worked in the transition of the music with the transition of the light. Mm-hmm. And that type of a choreographed, orchestrated movement of that light, to my knowledge, had never really been done that well in that type of setting before. Mm. I I sort of know what you're talking about, but again, not my field. It looks cool, and I recognize it. Like I see it, and I, I remember watching the show, and and I will people will hate me. <clears throat> Hamilton's great. I I'm not like a hardcore fan of the show, but I do think that it is very impressive. It is mind blowing the 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 imagination that created that and the the art that it created, I absolutely blows my mind. It's one of a kind. You can't beat it. And so I watching it, I was just mesmerized at all of the things that, that happened. And I see that now I see shows now and I'm just like, that's cool. Like, and now I'm, I'm understanding more about how they do it. So I'm always like, Oh, that's well, I, and like <clears throat> the rewind scene mm-hmm. in Hamilton, the way that they transition and literally fast rewind through everything that happened to get you mm. back to that position. Magic. <laughs> is probably some of the most beautiful blocking choreography that I've ever seen creating a transition in a show. Mm. The, the whole thing. And and then this goes back to just the storytelling that you can do with just lighting blows my mind. And and that's what we're trying to do. With like, look over here, look over there. We We want all of that stuff to meld together to make the story flow and not abruptly stop so that you have a time to go. What time is it? We want you to be engaged in this the entire time. And then all of a sudden you go, Oh, the show's over. I didn't realize I've been here for this long. You forgot you were. You're completely you, enveloped into yes, the reality that's presented you in front leave, of you. You can leave your problems outside yeah. and just enjoy being there in that moment. And any element that we can do to make all of that stuff flow together is, is great magic. Look over there. Well, we're incredibly excited to see the show. Um, my daughter just this morning asked me if she can come and watch it. <laughs> um, and I'm, she can watch parts of it, maybe not the ending. Um, but I'm really excited to see it and see it in its entirety. Um, the The small bits that I that I saw yesterday with with costuming and lighting looked gorgeous. That sounded wonderful. Um, you've got some great voices that were cast in this show. Mm, great, um, amazing talent in the orchestra too. I, I don't think a lot of uh, I don't, I can't say that people don't realize the talent that we have because we. I think people do know that it's there, but a lot of times the orchestra is down there and they're in the musicians, and we see the actors on stage. But this show, the music alone, is beautiful. I mean, so this, this let's talk be... about that a little bit. How do you how do you go about putting together an orchestra for a show like this? Oh. <laughs> there's there's quite a few people down there, right? This show, um, yeah, for this show, there I think there's sixteen. I think four, six. I I'm in I'm doing three orchestras right now, and their numbers bleed together. I'm pretty sure. 
that there's 16 people in this orchestra, but you know, it, I look at the list and I, I see what instruments I need. And you were the stage director as well as the music director. So you're conducting yes. the orchestra and mm-hmm. the, and the singers and performers during the show. Correct. correct? Yeah. I, I directed the show. And then when we got here for tech week this week, the show went into the hands of our stage manager because he makes the magic happen backstage with the set moving and all of that organization that the stage manager runs it from there. And then I am down in the orchestra conducting them and making sure that they're on stage following what's going down here. And it all goes together. So yeah, and you're also both. playing keys as part of conducting that. Not this show. Okay. No, this show I, sometimes I do. Sometimes it calls for the conductor to have to to play as well for this one. I only have to conduct, which is a lot easier being the fact that I have, 28 choir members and the cast on stage watching me wave a stick and trying to keep them together with an orchestra. I'm not having to play at the same time now. So that's a lot easier, but yeah, I I think there's 16 of us and I, I, they're all local. They're all local. And these are instrumentals that I have worked with for many, many years. I, I just meet them through contacts through SIU, other shows. Um, and I, they play for a show and then I have another one come up and I'm like, Hey, I got these shows coming up and I just start filling the slots with musicians that are available. But luckily they're all, they're all local. And they're not auditioning for these. They're, they're brought mm-hmm. in based on the experience level mm-hmm. that they have. And you already know that they can play this music. Correct. The music, that's, that's something I'm glad you said that because the, the music alone, you have to understand these are Broadway shows that were on Broadway at one point Well, this one. We, like I said before, not quite but there, not but quite yeah. there, but they are orchestrated for Broadway musicians. And then once they become available for people to perform contracted like we do, um, they take the orchestras and they arrange. Sometimes they use just the straight orchestrations you get from Broadway, but they're, they're complicated and playing wise, you're looking at intermediate to advanced level playing and, and sometimes it, that's the hardest thing is finding musicians that are that are that are able to play those because especially when when you get to like the reed players, um, saxophones, clarinets, stuff like that. A lot of times you're going to sit in the audience and you're going to hear this orchestra or play, and you're going to hear a saxophone, flute, clarinet, oboe, bassoon, all bass, clarinet, all of these different reed instruments, but they're only played by three people mm-hmm. or two people sometimes. I just played Adam's Family. I played three instruments for that. I played Chicago the Musical last month. I played five instruments, I think. I think it was four and, or five. And Tammy is one of your lead reed players. Tammy Kirk is one of the reed one player. Um, Katrina Wood is the second reed player, and Andrea Francis is our third reed player. And they all have a book written for different instruments. Tammy's playing soprano sax, clarinet, flute, and pick. Piccolo. We call it pick for short. And then we have Katrina, and she's playing oboe, alto sax, uh, clarinet, and Andrea's playing baritone saxophone, bass clarinet, clarinet, and bassoon. And so they're, the books are arranged. So you've got 13 instruments split between three people. Yeah. And they're constantly doing, I mean, so I, I, sometimes they're playing them while they're still on a stand because they have to get this one. They're, you know, playing and picking something else up and it's it's amazing at what they do and 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 it's complicated sometimes especially for we call that redoubling when doubling um because you have to adjust 
because they're all different sizes, especially when you get to the larger instruments. With Chicago, I was going back and forth between different sizes, baritone saxophone, big mouthpiece, to a soprano saxophone mouthpiece. And so getting used to the changes in that. Yeah, and your embouchure has to change based on all of that, based on the instrument, and you're Mm -hmm. quickly moving between them. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I would have the the sax strapped to me while playing clarinet, putting it down, picking up another one, because I had no time to put it. You know, mm-hmm. so it's it's like a, you have to plan it out too. You have to write it in your book. Change here, don't do this, um, and then you have your brass players. And a lot of th- I know for this show we've got two trumpets that are playing. I know the trumpet one. Um, she's she's playing piccolo and a regular like B flat trumpet. But I think there's a C. She's got three down there, and I don't know if she's just got two of her favorites that she likes to switch, or if she's playing one that's in the key of C as well, and flugelhorn. And then the other trumpets, flugelhorn and trumpet. The trombonist is playing two different trombones at one point, back and forth. Um, we have our horn player, French horn player, which he's lucky. He's just got a bunch of mutes. Um, and then we have strings. We have live strings, a viola, violin, cello, and a bass. And then you have this whole keyboarding sensation that's taken over. And it started a long time ago, but the accessibility of electronic music has changed the world with orchestras where... We made the joke a couple of days ago with Anita. She's like, I miss the days of just having an acoustic piano. And that's what you get. Because nowadays, one keyboardist with the programming that they use on Broadway and that we can use, you can program one keyboard and a laptop to play any instrument that you want. So you'll hear an orchestra playing with this gigantic string section this lush string section and it's a keyboard and one live violin down to we need a whole choir of bassoons you can pro you can program anything like to for anything but we've got two keyboardists (laughs) that are that are programmed like that so on top of the winds doing their craziness to the brass to the strings, you have two keyboardists that are constantly playing and hitting a button to make all of these other sounds fill in. And it's just, uh, it's, it's not easy. And those are called patches. With patches. Yeah. Programs. Yeah. It's, we, uh, I programmed the second book, Anita Tucker stabbed at practicing programming her own book this year and, or this for this show. And it was she, amazing. Of course. Of course. Um, but you have to like go down and literally create patches for every sound that the book calls for. And then within that patch, it could be three different instruments on top of each other in different ranges so that the pianist can just literally sit and play what's on the page and the sounds just, the instruments are where they need to be. Um, and so you have, it takes time to program those books. It's it's a headache sometimes. This this was the hardest show I've ever had to program, I will say that. Um, but it's not easy. And it that, that in itself is a style of playing too because some pianists just can't, they, the electronic part of it is, it just doesn't work for them. So. Well, and I'm, I'm sure you have to get used to it because mm-hmm. you're playing a piano, but those aren't the sounds that are exactly. coming out. And so you're essentially just playing a key, a controller, a controller to yeah. the music of a piano mm-hmm. and then hearing other sounds and other And stylistically, you have to learn. Like I know there's places where the keyboardist will be playing a string sound to fill in and help it make, you know, we need more violins. And you have to learn the way that to play to make it sound more like a real string section versus just, you know, um, organs. Organs are a huge thing to get used to because a lot of times pipe organs don't have sustain pedals. But you can have one 
with this program. And so it, the style of playing changes too, because you have to learn to play, you're playing an organ now and it's just not like piano, you know, you have to learn the ways to make the sounds more realistic than they already are. They sound realistic, but now you have to make them sound like it's a real person playing and not just not keyboard. just firing a sound yeah, from a key. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. It's it's it it, it takes a while. It takes a while. John and with Man. with the weighted keyboards, <clears throat> it takes the patches take into account your attack and the way that you're pressing mm-hmm. the keys. You can and the gradualness the and and then there's other things you can do. You can go onto the keyboard and when I I played um the string book for a a production of the Little Mermaid and. I programmed my book and had to go in and make sure all of the articulations, the different styles of the strings they needed. But then I, there's the modulation wheel on the side. I programmed the modulation wheel to be my volume so that I could make, while playing, I could use that modulation wheel to make it sound like the strings get louder or go back down to a soft section. Like, It's amazing at what you can do these days, but you have to practice to make it sound mm-hmm. realistic. You know, and it's... It's 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 a whole different style of playing, in my opinion. John Mandrell is our second keyboardist, and he practiced at home on his piano. You have they also have to change the patches as they're playing. Mm-hmm. So they're playing this book, and they'll have places highlighted where they have to change, and then they're having to hit a button to make the computer change the patches. And John told me he was like, "Yeah, I practiced at home," and he would play the book and practice hitting the low A key on his piano. So that he could, in his brain, get that motion down to where he's playing. And and so when he came into play, it was just like an angel sat down because he already adapted to, I'm playing, change the sound, play, change the sound, and not have to learn it then. He was mm-hmm. already prepared for it. It's And the, the books just keep getting harder because they're making orchestras smaller. I hate to say that, but uh, I mean, it does cost a lot of money to well, have Whenever life. you're playing for one keyboardist versus an entire string section. Yes. And you're, you're cutting costs out mm-hmm. tremendously and making it more affordable, especially for community theaters especially. to be able to do these shows. Mm-hmm. A lot of times in the community theater scene, string players are always the hardest to find because there's just not enough of them. And then if they are available or that we do have them in our, in our, in our community, they're taken. Mm-hmm. They're always, they're always busy, always busy. And so the accessibility of that keyboard solution does help. Um, it does make the orchestra smaller. Um, sometimes you have orchestras that are nothing but electronics and it's just, it, it it's the changing times of technology. You got to love it and you're going to hate it because I want more musicians. I want, I want an orchestra of 30 people. I think it'd be amazing. And, it, and, and it's a beautiful sound when 12 mm-hmm. violins and violas and cellos are, are all mm-hmm. there playing together and you have a full string section Yeah, because there's there's different modulation per player that's it all just, building those layers there sound. That, that you can't get by that keyboard patch. Yeah, it's just a different sound. I love it. I love... I, I love just I love having live musicians and conduct I love conducting orchestras for musicals. I think they're so much fun. On top of I love doing all of it, but it's it's something that I absolutely I love doing it. There's a, a Titanic. We're talking about musicians. There's a musical called Titanic came out before the movie, um, and I was introduced to it by just randomly finding the CD in a CD store and bought it, <laughs> and sat in my car and listened to the entire thing before I even left because it blew my mind away. It has nothing to do with the movie. 
Um, the composer, one of the composers helped with Jekyll and Hyde, uh, the musical and the score alone for this show is amazing. I have, I, I was able to get the score, look at the parts and everything. And it's a show that I would love to do because it, it truly is an ensemble show because there's a cast of 40 choral music giant, but the orchestra had like 26 people in it. And that's, that's a lot. And most of those, you're looking at like a string section of like 12 plus, I think they have five reed players, six brass, two per, I mean, it was this, it is a symphony orchestra that they made for this show. And it was on Broadway. Mm-hmm. That's expensive on Broadway too, for you to hear that, that giant, I don't think there's been an orchestra that big since ragtime, in my mm-hmm. opinion. And so I, I just remember just looking at that going, that's amazing. Like, where can you get those players? And yeah, I could get, you could get them. It's just the availability, you know, if they're, if and, busy, they're and busy. The, the cost, the cost, they're busy. Um, yeah. As a musician, they're always finding their, their next, their next performance and their next gig as we call it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love it. And it's, it's amazing. It's amazing technology. <laughs> so Derek, we look forward to seeing the show come to life on stage hearing the amazing orchestra that you put together, listening for those keyboard patches. Mm-hmm. We probably won't be able to pick them out because the technology is amazing these mm-hmm. days. Um, it opens tomorrow, August 12th, plays Friday night, Saturday night, and then Sunday afternoon. Tickets are still available on marionccc.com. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything in the show that you feel like people need to look for? Just the message. I always, I think, I, f- I find shows... To- Shows that have a message, well, every show has a message, but just looking for the message in the show and, and relating to it, especially with everything that's going on in the world these days, um, just the message of being an outcast and loving one another. And I just, I just think that the, the overall, the story, the story is beautiful. Follow, listen to the story. Awesome. Thank you for your time today. We appreciate you and we look forward to this show. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for State of the Art Southern Illinois, a podcast by the Marion Cultural and Civic Center featuring local artists, artisans, musicians, arts organizations, and arts events in Southern Illinois, as well as touring artists coming to the Marion Cultural and Civic Center. Special thanks to Derek Hamblin for his time speaking with us today. Thanks to AJ Rice, our associate producer, and special thank you to Kevin Olau and Carr for providing this episode's soundtrack. Join us every Thursday morning for a new episode on Facebook, YouTube, or whatever audio podcast service you prefer. And now for Yellow and Blue by Carve in its entirety.
plastic with white lips.